We are in the countdown to 2023, uh, but the reality is development has already started. Uh, what is going to happen in Q1 is probably already defined. We're going to get into it after this. All right, Brent, challenges that we see for FranDev in 2023. What makes you nervous? What should franchisors be thinking about? You start. Uh, 2023 challenges. There's three big buckets we're trying to prepare for and work around, and we can kind of maybe go into them if you want. But the first is um, the real or perceived pressure to cut costs coming into this economy, cut costs, whether that means lead generation spend or even personnel or infrastructure. Uh, the second big one is um, rising costs in terms of item seven build out. Um, I think that one is 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 a big issue um, right now, and will continue to be um, next year. And then I think increasing competition, franchising top man, and you're gonna we're seeing a lot of new franchisors every week, so we're gonna have some competition to deal with. Um, I support all those. I, I think we should we should dive into um, all those. Um, I think. I mean, I, I have this conversation on a weekly basis with a franchisor. We start talking about attribution or Google tags. Um, and they're like, we're not getting any leads from X. So let's just call it LinkedIn. I say, but guys, how many times do I have to tell you? Nobody goes from LinkedIn and says, wow, I want to invest in a million dollar franchise after seeing an ad on LinkedIn. They just don't. And so the technology that exists for CRM management in franchising, the Fran Connects, the IFXs, like they're all great for managing leads, but they're not great for understanding the candidate funnel or, or what is going on with the candidates. And so you think about that, these franchisors are dismissing uh, good tools that are helping educate buyers of their brand because they don't see a lead directly correlated to it. I think that's going to continue to be a challenge, and it's 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 a bit it's a big challenge because franchisors want a A plus B equals C equation, and it's and that's not true. I think validation is going to be a tough thing in 2023, and it's not going to be because it won't be for anything that the franchisor has done wrong. It's going to be because the economy is going to be super shaky, which is going to cause stress for your franchisees. So they're not going to say, you know. I would do this again when they're feeling uncomfortable with maybe decreasing sales. Like we got, we almost got like blessed with the after aftermath of COVID that sales just skyrocketed. And now you can see like there's, there's predictability in what's going to happen. Like the stock market is going down, uh, you know, cryptocurrency is going down. Like, and those those are already those have already happened. If you click on uh, stories on LinkedIn, layoffs are happening. Like there's a lot of turbulence, and so the turbulence does create fear for your franchisees. And when you get a candidate to the finish line, they have to be willing to to be uh, educated or validated by those franchisees, or they they want to be validated or educated by those franchisees. The franchisees feel turbulence. They're going to mention that. Now this is this is the mistake that typically happens then. Uh, is you go to your real estate bucket, um, you're, you're not 
you're not buying real estate for January. You're really buying it for September. And so when you think through that, like franchisees that have signed up in Q4 and are searching for leases, they don't open overnight. It could take nine months. And so you're, you're playing a, you're playing a different type of game. So uh, I, I want to dive into your buckets, but from my viewpoint, validation is going to be a concern that make sure that you champion around those who are validating your brands in the States that they live in. That's probably your best opportunity for growth for 2023. And two, as you, backcast into 2022 and say, how do things go? I have, I have a, a real brand that is like LinkedIn doesn't work. I'm like, well, how's your sales this year? Record sales. I'm like, I mean, maybe it doesn't work in the sense that it doesn't drive leads, but when your candidates get to the finish line and they say, we see buzz of your brand, or we see you all over the place. It is contributing to them feeling comfortable and confident that the brand that they're buying into has ultimate buzz. And that's, that. those are two things that we have to get through. So uh, let's, let's talk about, what about, let, let's do the real estate bucket first. That's going to be a challenge because you see costs rising or you see limited inventory or why, why are you calling that out as, as one of the, the concerns for 2023? <laughs> Because it was a concern in 2022 already, right? I think the costs rose so quickly, and this actually links back to your validation concern bucket, but costs rose so quickly that the item seven range for a lot of brands that we had insight into wasn't realistic, and that happened within a 12-month time frame. And so you have franchisees coming in thinking, well, it's going to cost me 250000 to get this build out. 12 months later, to your point, many of the brands in, in brick and mortar that we see are six to 12 month sign to get open um, when things go well, and it can take longer than that. But in that time frame of, you know, 12, up to 12 months, um, a lot has changed in the world and things cost a lot more. You have, you have real cost increases, certainly in the labor place in terms of materials, in terms of, of construction, labor, et cetera. Add in inflation, Add in added competition, looking for things and looking for places as spaces. Um, that's an issue. And I think that um, we we now think that, especially in this environment, you've probably got to work on that item seven to say, not what it was last year, but account for where it's going to go to. If you've got too many franchisees that go north of, of average uh, investment level and even exceed the high end of the item seven investment level, that makes validation hard from day one, and you do not want that. You want expectations set properly. So we're looking to, to account for increased inflation early next year and potentially some increased costs. Um, but also in the same vein, really auditing our, our, our build-outs. Um, we're talking purely retail here, right, brick and mortar, but what isn't putting revenue on the board? What isn't helping operational efficiencies? What isn't driving profitability? What are some of the branding things that were fun in there that you have the luxury of adding into your item seven in a, in a bull market um, that we shouldn't really have the luxury or, or even contemplate anymore? So really kind of auditing that and, and seeing how we can drive it down to make, um, make it fair for the franchisees, make it more affordable and increase the buyer pool of folks that can afford your brand. Don't you think at at some point item seven is almost I mean so is item 19. They're 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 easily manipulated numbers, meaning 
the franchisor in most cases, or the, the head of development is handed a goal. And typically the goal might start with, we want to do X number of deals, but quickly nosedives into how many leads did we get? And when you're driving leads with, with you know, take, take easy math and franchising, we're 99 are not going to buy your brand, but you still have to go through the time to qualify those candidates. And you still have to report back on out of those 99, 50 aren't returning my call. Uh, don't, don't you think those numbers of like the manipulation of those numbers ends up hurting the qualification route? Because like, let, let's say the build out is 250, but realistically it's 650. If you qualify at 250, you've already underqualified the candidate who won't be able to scale unless they catch a unicorn and have tremendous growth that outpunts what item 19 is suggesting. Because like, let's say it's a, it's a, three to one return. So the average unit volume is 750 and I'm, I'm using back of the napkin stuff, but now the build out was 650. So they can, they can certainly get to break even, but they're not going to make the money to scale. And therefore, when the question comes, how many of your franchisees still want to grow with the business, it stalls. So is aren't those numbers, like, shouldn't we push for higher numbers, which in turn will help us qualify better, which in turn will make us bring on franchisees who could scale? A hundred percent. I think it's the easier route, right? Because lead generation is friend in franchising is really difficult. It's 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 not easy. And that's why not many brands do it well. And so many brands go and ask to work with companies like yours and mine. Um, it's hard. And I think the easiest thing you can do is just, lower the the requirements um, for your buyer pool and and therefore make it bigger and then it's a numbers game you've got more folks with 150,000 liquid than they really probably should have 300,000 liquid to scale for example um, and I think that that's 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 probably the issue here is is the lack of skill or understanding of how lead generation truly needs to work in franchising um, I think that we've gotten so much better as an industry in the last 10 years in terms of franchise development, the sales process, collaboration, some of the things that we see get better and better, the collateral, um, the ability for brands to work in, in, in more cohesion with franchise broker networks. I could create a long list of things that have blown me away in terms of how franchising's evolved for the better and how brand, the average brand's doing really, really well. But in terms of digital lead generation, Dude, we suck. As an industry, we are not good at it. And we don't, when when you have brands and folks coming to you like, Nick, hey, I, my LinkedIn leads suck. Um, and they don't understand the attribution journey. It just shows that there's, I dare say, it, a lack of sophistication in understanding what it truly means to, to have a lead generation program. And I saw, like to your point, back to that issue, I saw it, it was a meme on on Twitter, I think a couple of weeks ago, it was it was it was spot on. It was something along the lines of, "You're not spending money, or your ad your ads isn't in, intent isn't to have someone buy then and there. No one's ready to buy then and there. The ad is for you to be top of mind when they are ready to buy, yeah. and that's absolutely brilliant. And it was a better meme than what I just it, 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 it just articulated, but it was exactly your point from before of this 
more than anything. And that's probably, by the way, that meme is probably in relation to a hairbrush or a cheeseburger. I don't know. Your average product in, in this economy, right? Our sale is very different. It's very niche. It's very expensive. You and I talk about this all the time. Tell me another industry where you go to a person, you go to your buyer and you say, hey, I want you to sign this 300-page document that's heavily weighted against you. Um, I want you to trust the next 10 years in, of your life in a group of, it, of, of executives that you maybe get to meet for a couple hours one time at a discovery day, and they're going to dictate the path for the next 10 years for you. And oh, by the way, I need, in most cases, every dollar you've ever saved, and probably you need to go take out a small loan fortune too. And um, you expect someone to see that on a LinkedIn ad and say, I'm in, I'm buying, here's my check. Dude, it's not going to happen. Well, I, I loved honesty and I don't, I don't, frankly, I don't think honesty exists very well in our industry. I think it's, uh, it's a lot of selling, uh, unicorns. Um, and that's, that's part of what I enjoy about these conversations that if we can help someone just get a nugget that could maybe make them push pause before they, they freak out. Um, what I love about what you just said, like, let, let's, let's pretend buying a house is like buying a franchise. So you've, you're going to buy a house and the choice is buy a house or rent an apartment. Rent an apartment, equivalent of a job, buying a house, equivalent of buying a franchise. Imagine if when you bought a house, you go online and you see, you see one ad for that house on Zillow. You only get to see one. So that, that's a LinkedIn ad making you buy. But then the agreement is you can't sell that house easily because the real estate agent actually, or the or the home seller actually gets to dictate whether you can sell that house or not over the next ten years. Um, if you don't, if you if you make any mistakes on that front lawn, let's say you you forgot to mow your lawn one year, we can default you and actually take your house back. Like if you really crossify this thing, like to buy in a home, no one would ever buy a house. And so it's not that people won't buy a franchise, but what makes them do it? And we've talked about this. It's the culture. It's feeling like you're a part of something. It feels like you have a team of people that are invested in your in your wealth and your earning. And so then you go all the way back to the item seven. And if they're if if you're trying to skimp on those numbers to just sell to anybody who has a dime, like it will fail down the line. Now, I have said this: like an exit strategy could include I want to exit to private equity. And sometimes what that means is you accelerate your sales to anybody who has a dime so you can flip your business at a maximum value. Now, in my opinion, that's irresponsible because you just onboarded franchisees who are going to get lost in the shuffle who shouldn't be in your business in the first hand. But selfishness is, is something that is it exists in so many different companies that you know you do that so that you can get a maximum return. I understand it. I don't agree with it. I understand it. So that's where I think qualifying the candidates ends up being very critical. The other thing that I think what you just said that is important to the next bucket was if you get into competition, like you're trying, the, the ads are making it so that when you are ready to buy, the brand is top of mind. And what's happened with competition, I, I hate to break it to franchisors, but every franchisor is your competition because everybody's going after a qualified and ready to buy candidate. Every single one of you doesn't matter what their background is. It's, it's, it's irrelevant today. So now the competition has gone up. And so we were sitting uh, in our in our mastermind in Denver a few weeks ago. There's a there's a brand in the room, has 10, 10 units, uh, service-based. 
and they they put on the screen their their development budget this year is five hundred thousand dollars. Five hundred grand is what they're going to spend to make sure that they're getting the people that want to buy your brand to consider theirs, and their return on investment is good. Their tech stack is good. Their support structure is really strong. They're financially capitalized and backed in the way that they set up their business. They are positioned to walk all, all over everybody. And, and that's 500,000, not for 500 units, but like, was it 20 units or, or uh, something reasonable? Really? Right. And what the founder said is, yeah, because I know what my return on each unit is going to be. Very rare do you find someone that's sophisticated that is going to do this but he's going to spend $500,000 to make sure that they don't buy your brand. So when you limp in there and you're like, well, can, can, can I get deals done at $5,000 per deal? Sure. But you got to understand like you're going to have people and brands that are going to outspend you to make sure that their brand is top of mind when the buyer who you're going, you're going after that same person is qualified and ready to buy. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and you also said it in that mastermind too. And that particular brand got it before you even had to teach the class. But it's not so much what's the franchise fee worth, it's what's the lifetime customer value worth, right? What are 10 years worth of royalties, not including product markups, et cetera. Mm -hmm. For the brand that I'm a franchisor of, my lifetime just in the royalties alone, not including markups on beer, et cetera, but just the, the royalties alone, it's $700,000 for a 10-year customer for me, right? Per franchisee. That's straight to us. And... Um, so you, we're blessed. It's I got a great team, and we're blessed to have a, a cost per deal around ten thousand. But even other brands at Rangetree, where it's pushing up to twenty thousand in some instances, that's still. Tell me another industry where you're going to spend twenty thousand to get seven hundred thousand dollar per each customer return. Uh, it, it's it's unique, and it's what makes franchising great, while still bringing incredible value to the franchisee, right? That middle customer too. Um, and I think it, that ties all this then ties back to to bucket one, right, of increased competition. And we're seeing that in so many ways right now. That's not just subjective. Oh, wow, I've got so many brand new brands looking to work with our companies and, and entering the broker groups and et cetera, these things. It's we monitor certainly from an SEO and a PPC standpoint, what's what's certain franchising search terms cost right now? And, you know, some of the staple ones that we've always used, which were running, you know, 70 bucks each, uh, even just 12 months ago, are now pushing into the high 100s, even into the 200s. So we're talking more than double for the same term um, just 12 months ago. And so that means that if you want to be competitive for those leads, you're either going to do half the amount of deals and spend the same, or you've got to double the budget just to perform as well as we all did last year. And I think when you have that pressure of increased competition in terms of number of franchisors in franchising right now and entering every day, combined with, wow, we're seeing all these big companies, DoorDash yesterday just laid off 1,250 people, Amazon 10,000, man, maybe we should be cutting costs too. Well, that's extremely dangerous com uh, combination there when, in fact, our advice is, and we've built brands in recessionary environments like this only because of this, go the other way. Understand that even though some costs are high, you have an opportunity to stay brave, stay bold, understand that franchising in general does quite well in a recessionary environment. Don't take the foot off the gas. It's the worst thing you can do right now because it can mean real disaster for you in doing that. You can get lost there. So, I mean, that's that's where I think all these three things 
are, are, are linked. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see how brands play that out and if we're even correct in, in seeing how we think that's going to go. Um, but it will be very interesting either way. Give me, give me the insight here. Cause what I just heard, I heard exactly. And I think you can give me an honest insight on this. I heard we're going to, over 10 years, we're going to get $750,000 in royalty. So in it break, I know it's making it even, but divided by 750 by 10, $75,000 a year. That's going to come in. What prevents you from saying, wow, we're going to get 10 X return on a $75,000 spend. What prevents you from saying, I'm going to spend $750,000 next year to get 10 deals. And if I, if I get more than that, great. But if I get 10 franchisees in here who can open up two or three of these, now all of a sudden I'm getting 30 X because they're opening up three. What, what, like mentally, what is the, what is the block that makes you say, screw it. Let's, let's invest $750,000 into this next year. Yeah. I have asked that question of myself a couple of times in the last year, at least. I think the honest answer is this, Nick. I think that um, there's certainly a point of diminishing return in franchise digital lead generation, and it's different for each brand. And I don't know what it is for my brand. I haven't pushed that theory like you're suggesting what we possibly could. Here's why I wouldn't do it right now is in our instance, and this is how I coach young brands at Raintree too, we're only not even in our second year of national franchising of opening locations, we're still relatively unproven in how quickly we can do that successfully. And so I do think, yeah, we'll bring in 25 at a minimum, probably 35 franchisees next year. And that's a good number of stores for us to open. Uh, but that's the key. If, if we pushed it and said, screw it, let's get a hundred in next year. And we only had the ability, the infrastructure and the team to open half of those successfully and half are pissed off, not open and not performing, then that's that brand dead in the water uh, and, and it's not recoverable at that level. Um, so I think the question is a lot of brands can support that, certainly in the service-based space. Like it's, it's the reality is it's a little bit easier to get those franchisees open, profitable and happy than it is in a brick and mortar space. And so... We certainly see that. We have brands at Raintree in their second years that have just ticked over 250 locations and only in the third year of being the franchisor, validation's immaculate. And I think so the point in, in those two extremes are you have to just make sure even if, if, the, if the variable is, is or, or the opportunity is to grow as fast as you possibly want from building the, 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 the demand for it and having folks ready to roll, you have to ask, how many can we get open properly, successfully? And, and, and that's the big part there. I mean, if I were you, I would take that clip and that, that's your sales piece. Like why, why you? Because you just said we're, we're, we've been doing national franchising for two years. In essence, we're just, we're un, unproven. Therefore, it would be irresponsible for us to just slam down the gas. And I think that's, that's the, that is the term, like irresponsible franchising happens so often that puts unnecessary pressures on sales teams to sell versus award, which then long-term has tremendous impact, negative impact on the business. Because when you sell franchises, the likelihood of those franchisees succeeding becomes less and less and less versus awarding them and coaching them through what will it take to do this properly. And so I think, I think that's a, that's a tremendous answer that you just, uh, you just provided. And, and also 
you know, like you take that, you get, if you were to sell 10 next year, I mean, that's, that's going to be worth $7.5 million in enterprise value back to the business and selling 10 yeah. it, and getting them open and ensuring that the real estate is parring on what you want from an item seven, like that's responsible franchising. I don't think it's ever going to exist. Like I'm not, I don't believe in uh, like the, the Santa Claus of franchising. And I, I know, I know what's real and what's not. So it won't, it won't exist, but I do think, and Brent, you said this, uh, it, it stuck with me tremendously uh, in our, in our mastermind, you said 60, 67% of uh, 67, I think is the right number. 67% of franchise first, first year franchisors don't sell a unit within the first two years. Correct. Great. Then why don't we change our goal setting to a 24 month period? Like let's set up success in the right way. And you know, it, that's why this is super hard. I think I understand why everybody wants to make it easy, but it, it just isn't. And you know, I, I was talking to uh, another franchisor that was at our event uh, about the magic of his business. And I go, you're in a, you're in a category of few. That gives you a pathway to succeed. Category few and nearly $3 million average unit volume. You're, you're golden. Like you're in a great scenario. Um, some people are like, you know, they, they want to sell at the same volume, uh, but they don't have the tools. So it's like, I think we make franchise sales is almost created equal but when you start getting into cost to get in what's the return on investment what's the depth of the leadership how much investment is happening corporately into all these layers like it turns more and more complex so my, my last statement is in 2023 i don't think it's going to be any more difficult than 22 21 20 or 2008. it's just going to be in the mindset of the franchisor on how you approach this and if you if you get freaked out by all these layoffs, um, then most likely twenty three is not going to work as well as it should for you. A thousand percent. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think I'm mean, still one of yours. I think um, understanding again, looking at development and more into yes, cost per acquisition is going to be important. We have to allow for that. We have to plan for that. We have to understand it's going to be more expensive to get the right leads candidates and deals done next year but taking a longer term mindset right looking at the longer picture not just the 12 month what's that budget and return ratio look like that's that that that's not the key to franchising anymore it's the long-term picture how much are we investing this year for the next 10 years following and i think that's that's the big takeaway for for brands here if you can do that you're more likely to win we're going to keep trying to help you we got a few more weeks left of franx before the year's out uh hopefully Another nugget has been provided. This is